Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. This week, we're talking about one of those moments where a crisis in the real economy impacts capital markets, or does it? Um, we're talking in particular about the gas price crisis. Uh, the, the, press, the price of gas has shot up in uh, recent months, partly due to excess demand, especially in Asia, and also down to uh, lower storage in Europe. We wanted to discuss this week uh, what effect that was having on the big energy companies. Um, and in particular, John, it's uh, it's an acute problem in the UK, uh, or at least it might become a, an acute problem in the UK. Yes, there's been a massive attention on it. It's, it's top of the news agenda. It's a big issue in the political world. We've had energy companies going bust in the UK since the summer, uh, about a dozen of them <laughs> so far, small ones mainly. Um, and, and it really does feel like a crisis. It's in focus in the UK particularly because the UK has got one of the most fully deregulated markets where market forces have been heavily involved in, in energy supply uh, for, for a long time. And the result is there's quite a diverse market of suppliers. But recently, um, the government through Ofgem, its regulator, has started to intervene in the market again. And in particular, there's an energy price cap for households, which is it covers both electricity and gas. Uh, it's expressed in pounds per kilowatt hour. And that means that if you're an energy supplier, you can't charge more than that for an average customer. And that means if the wholesale price of gas and therefore also of electricity goes up, you just get squeezed and, and there's nothing you can do. Well, we spoke to Mike Turner, our corporate bond reporter, to discuss how this will affect the big energy companies and what effect it might have on capital markets. Mike, hi. How has the how has this affected the uh, the bond spreads of the big energy suppliers? Hi, Ralph. Well, I, I think the best way to put that is that it hasn't affected them really at all. They've uh, they've they've been very resilient in the face of uh, their industry crumbling beneath them. Um, and and that's probably down to, to a few pretty significant reasons. Um, first of all, they these companies are so well hedged against gas price rises that in terms of uh, direct impact of the gas price moving, it hasn't really hit them yet. They've, they've been able to you know, use their hedges and, and use the insurance they have in place to to, to uh, mitigate the price moves um, and the second point being that the larger companies are all pretty well diversified um, unlike the smaller companies which are, are the ones who have gone bust. Well indeed two of the bigger suppliers that we're talking about here are ultimately uh, E.ON and EDF which have access to all sorts of other markets. Yes, they're German, a German company and a French company. But as well as being diversified internationally, a lot of these companies are diversified by activity. So they may have regulated networks as part of their businesses. They may have generation. And those parts are not uh, what, are, what are in trouble. It's only supply 
which is actually selling energy to the consumer where the price cap bites. As you said, Mike, a lot of smaller energy suppliers have gone out of business. That doesn't seem to have had any impact on the capital markets at all. Were these were these companies simply not present? Well, yeah, that's it. A lot a lot of them aren't aren't big enough to be um, certainly aren't big enough to be bond issuers. Um, unlikely to have syndicated loans. Uh, there might have been a few club loans about or, or bilateral deals. There certainly would have been. Um, not not present in the private placement market either really they just don't have enough of a critical mass to warrant raising the the sort of say between 50 and 100 million sterling in debt to to get them on people's radar in the market Mm. indeed i think there was someone in the uh, story that you and silas wrote uh this or published this morning about this which says the risk in the uk energy industry is all taken by the supply companies which are not private placement issuers they are rubbish credits <laughs> but, uh... i mean rub, rub, <laughs> rubbish as a as a general term as a sorry as a relative term compared to a uh yeah maybe a single a rated energy company <laughs> that has that has the capital markets and it's <laughs> yeah that is, that is as it's reddest in tooth and claw and certainly uh not a not a credit opinion espoused by global capital itself i would say absolutely so mike back to the big companies um their spreads might not have moved yet but i think there's a sense in capital markets that people are starting to question uh what might happen to them and that they might not hold forever um can you explain a bit about why that might be yeah well they're they're not going to be immune to massive changes in their in their industry, these big companies, no matter how large they are or diversified, it's still a, a huge um, shakeup in, in a fundamental part of what they do. Um, and one of the biggest ways this is being seen is the number of residential clients that these companies are having to take on. Um, all of the, the way that the regulation works in the UK is when these smaller companies fail, um, their clients can't just be cut off from the from the power supplier, they have to be shifted to these large companies. So, uh, for example, I was with one of the smaller companies uh, and I am now with EDF and it's just happened without without me agreeing to anything. It's just EDF has been mandated and been forced to take me on as a client. Um, I suffered that fate too. Expensive, <laughs> isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, especially I live in the north as well, so it's going to be a, a long, cold, expensive winter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, but what that means is that um, these bigger companies are having to take on a lot of very low margin um, clients, which they didn't really plan for and don't really want. Um, and they and, can't pass on the rising energy costs. Yeah, exactly. And they, and they can't and they can't pass it on. Um, and eventually people think that might start having an impact on how they're viewed in the, in the capital markets, how investors view them and evaluate these companies and their um, their revenues and their, and their profits. Well, I had a look at the share prices, though, because the equity market is often more sensitive. It's more forward looking. And it was interesting that Centrica, which is one of the biggest energy suppliers, they own British gas, their share price is actually strongly up this year. And in fact, it's outperformed the wider market after years of having underperformed. And people think that that's because this pain is going to kill off all the small competitors, as indeed it has been and that it will be left with a, a market that's actually nicer for the big companies. I'm not, I'm not sure how much I agree with that, given that a lot of the big companies moved out of focusing on uh, residential 
accounts just because of how low the margins were and instead shifted their focus towards industry because it's uncapped and the margins are much bigger. Um, I mean, this is anecdotal, but um, I was speaking to someone who works in the industry who said that all it takes from a residential client is four phone calls to their gas supplier and then that that profit is wiped out for the year. That's how thin the margins are because of the cost it takes to, to take the calls and deal with it and things like that. Um, so it it would surprise me if the reason that the equity markets are so are feeling bullish on Centrica is that they are happy to that the company is taking on a, a load of shoddy clients in effect that aren't particularly uh, good money makers. Well, Centrica this week uh, postponed an investor day, didn't it, because of this crisis? Now I'm I'm guessing it wasn't so they could go and have the uh, PDFs and uh, other printouts coated in gold leaf following the increase in their share price. Um, presumably, they're they're worried by what's going on. I, I'm yeah. I'm yeah. oh, sorry, John. Go on. No, no, no. Well, I was going to. I, I think that they are. Yes, they're worried, but I also think that it's it's a pretty shrewd move because it's such a changing landscape that whatever they might present to investors um, in early November, which is when they were originally slated to to have this investor day, it's likely it's just liable to change so much between uh, then and whenever it is they look to raise money from investors. And we should say they haven't been to the bond market themselves since 2015. They have uh, 4.1 billion pounds worth of bonds outstanding, according to their 2020 accounts. Um, I think their next maturity is due in 2023. It's a $302 million bond. Oh, actually, no, they've got uh, $450 million, Hong Kong dollars, uh, due due next year. But, you know, those aren't those aren't huge amounts. And, and 250 quid a sterling, um, those aren't huge maturities to face, are they? No, for, for a company the size of Centrico, that's, you know, it's, uh, it's not a pittance, but it's definitely not something that would cause a CFO to have sleepless nights. It's, it's interesting, actually, just looking at the uh, the sterling bond that's due next year, the coupon is six and three eighths of a percent. Now, see, that looks oh, I remember those days. antiquated. You're right, isn't it? Yeah. But looking at that, now, this gas crisis, I wonder if when they come to refinance that, they'll be paying the same coupon. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think the dynamics of the market, the gas crisis would have to be terrible for them to look at a, a 6% plus coupon. <laughs> Yeah, well, we shall see. We shall see. So, of course, we haven't mentioned that Ofgem, the regulator, has actually decided to put up the price cap for retail customers. But, of course, that will still leave it being fixed and unresponsive to supply and demand. And potentially there's a there's a longer term problem that the government needs to think about, you know, whether whether it makes sense to have price regulation in that way. But of course, there's also on the industrial side, prices are uncapped. So I guess their high prices are going to feed through into the economy, aren't they, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I guess you have a direct um, comparable of what happens when you have a too stringently capped price and a non-capped price to see what the what the outcomes might be. And there's already um, talk in, in UK industry, um, various sectors of gas prices uh, ballooning. And that's going to lead to increased costs for customers and then higher inflation. And with inflation already being a, a pretty hot topic coming out of the coronavirus pandemic um, and way above 2% targets, um, 
this this will certainly have an effect on the real economy and also on how uh, investors view fixed income. And just as we enter both the cold part of the year as well, um, when energy demand is going to rise anyway. And the other thing that outside of the gas sector is there are also these supply chain bottlenecks that are really starting to take an effect as well, which is going to add to the overall um, issue with potential inflation and uh, uh, economic difficulties in the UK. Um, this semiconductor supply issue has gone on throughout the year and will continue to go on, and that's affecting everything from cars to computer game consoles. Um, and you've had Mayersk recently divert ships away from Felixstowe um, because there's just nowhere to to plonk their goods, their, their large cargo goods, because there's no HGV drivers to then move them on around the UK. Um, so this combined with the gas burgeoning gas crisis, or should I say latent gas crisis, is um, is going to cause big issues for, for inflation and, and real economy. And of course, what happens when you have inflation in capital markets is higher yields. And, you know, we've noticed that already in the UK, haven't we, with um, the 10-year gilt yield is up from about 0.6% in August to around 1.1%. And what that'll ultimately mean is higher funding costs for, for companies, isn't it? Well, yes, it will. But uh, I think also to be borne in mind, uh, it wasn't that long ago that a senior uh, funding official at a big European energy company was telling us, or while telling Mike in particular, that actually he wanted less quantitative easing, that in effect, borrowing costs were too low. Um, so perhaps this is a roundabout way of uh, giving the energy companies what they want. I don't know. Or at least or at least the very big energy companies that want to see the end of well, their competitors. What they indeed, want. <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed. I think there's another uh, interesting uh, side to this, which I think we'll just just finish on, which is um, the ESG angle, because inevitably there's always an ESG angle. And uh, I read I read today uh, one one oil company, sorry, gas company um, figure complaining that actually there's been too much ESG, and what he meant by that was there's been too much storage. Um, Oh, sorry, too many, too many resources have gone into renewable energy and hadn't dealt with gas storage issue. And that uh, might also have helped alleviate the crisis. I mean, obviously, there's an element of him talking his own book there. But, um, yeah, what did you think about that, John, as our, our resident ESG expert? Well, I think it's certainly fair to criticise UK energy policy and that of most other countries uh, for, for a lack of foresight. But and, and, you know, having storage, ample storage for gas is an important part of the picture. It's an important part of being resilient and forward-looking. But it's perfectly clear that the problem would be less bad if we had moved more quickly to renewables. And that's really what should have happened, you know, decades ago. Um, the reliance on gas, especially from foreign sources such as Russia, is fundamentally what's causing this volatility. But of course, with gas, there's uh, there's the Nord Stream two pipeline uh, that's just been completed between Russia and Germany. Couldn't couldn't this end all of our gas supply problems in a stroke? I suppose in theory it could, but I have been writing about Nord Stream two. Uh, I think I think I wrote my first story about it in my second week of my career, and I'm now significantly greyer uh, and much <laughs> older. So it, while in theory one one issue solved with Nord Stream could get the whole thing up and running. It's just an incredibly laborious process that has taken 
over a decade now to to move forward from multi billions in financing to this this part now where we're at. So I wouldn't put too much hope on it. Well, early days in the capital markets as far as the gas price crisis is concerned. Keep reading Global Capital to discover how it plays out and subscribe to the podcast too. There's a new episode out every Friday, so just search for Global Capital on your favourite podcast platform and subscribe. And don't forget to drop us a line either to podcast at globalcapital.com. We'll be back next week, so it only remains for me to thank Mike and John for taking part and joining me, and to Gerald Hayes for stitching our ramblings together into something altogether more coherent. So until next Friday, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.